5021 David, we got a fender down and two GSWs to the chest. I need you to meet us at Molly's. <laughs> For the most powerful podcast on the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, I go by the name of Lorraine Hawkins, and if you're not listening, you obviously ain't learning. Copy that. All sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey everyone, welcome to Meet Us at Molly's episode 121. Tonight we're going to go ahead and talk about episodes 5, 505, 805, and 705. As always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina. I'm joined by Bryna. Hello. And as always, we like to start with the news, which we're just going to go ahead and do. I mean, I always start off and I'm always like, it was a crazy week in Chicago. And it was just the usual. I mean, it was Wednesday. (laughs) So yeah, let's just dive right into the news. So we have episode descriptions. This is for episodes seven. So not next week, but the week after, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool. I usually get my dates really backwards. That's going to be November... Sixth? Yeah, because it'll it ties into the news we're gonna talk about later too. Nice. Look at me on point with my dates tonight. Goodness. Okay, so Chicago Med episode seven. This is called Who Knows What Tomorrow Brings. So Dr. Charles and Dr. Halstead sink their teeth into a bloodthirsty case. Dr. Marcel and Maggie throw a traditional crawfish boil for the staff. A new relationship blossoms while another is left on rocky ground. Shall we speculate? I mean, I'm pretty sure that means Marcel and April, right? I, I, yeah, I wonder if that sentence means it's going to be, you know, parts of the same couple. So like Dr. Marcel and April and then Dr. or April and Dr. Choi are on rocky ground. Well, a lot of people are speculating after last night's episode that like that they're starting to obviously pit Ethan and Marcel against each other and that like it means it's going to head into a love triangle so I'm not I would not be surprised if that's it because I don't know who else it would be a new relationship well I'm kind of hoping that the one on rocky ground is Natalie and Philip. oh please that would be great it would be amazing (laughs) which means it's not going to happen I know sad face i know i'm here for this crawfish boil though yeah right Where's and also invite? like blood thirsty what is that like vampires like I, like what is what does that mean i guess that's gonna be our halloween episode just a week later yeah was it last year that five was like one chicago wednesday was halloween yeah because it's on a thursday this year it's a week from today oh yeah oh my god it's a week from today we're recording on thursday yeah. night as always yeah, Where it's a week from today. Gone. I know. Wild. So wild. But yes, I'm totally here for the crawfish boil. Um, also, where was our invite? I know. As always, where was our invite? We're Southern, Dr. Marcel. We can hang. Yeah, I know. And craw- have you ever been like had crawfish or like been to a crawfish boil? I have. Now that okay. I have a Texas boy for a boyfriend, um, he has shown me the ropes. So he taught me how to eat crawfish. I had no idea how. I was like, what oh, the hell so do good. I do with this? It's so good. It is so good. It's messy, but it's so good. Yeah. So good stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's episode seven. So Brenna, will you take us through fire? Yes. So fire episode seven is called welcome to crazy town. Um, Severide must make a tough decision about the future of his career at firehouse 51. Herman deals with the consequences of his temper after a run-in with Chicago police officer. Cruz is excited to demonstrate the slam again at a, the firefighting expo and commissioner Grissom returns. All together now. Ugh, Grissom. I know. Why? I know. And it's like so sad too because I've been watching Mixed Dish this season and Gary Cole plays the dad on that show. Um, and he's so good in that role. And I'm like, oh yeah, I really like Gary Cole. And then I like think I'm like, oh yeah, he's also Grissom and I hate him. <laughs> how is um, how's Mark Paul Gossler on that show? I love Mark Paul Gossler. Same. I just I hope this show lasts just because he needs to stay on a show for more than one season. Right. I know. I know. Man, um, pitch was so good. The passage was so good. Why don't these shows last? I know. But yeah, no, but it's really good. I really like watching it. Um, and he's really good, I think. So. So I think the Severide uh, thing and the Grissom thing are going to go hand in hand because, I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And if you missed it a couple weeks back during Derek's Q&A, he said that Casey and Severide will not be at the same house by the time the midseason finale rolls around. That's paraphrasing, not an exact quote. So I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm not looking forward to this. I'm just like, man, he's going to take whatever comes his way. This sucks. I wonder, though, if it has to do with something regarding Stella, too. Like, I don't know. Like, it could also have to do with, like, in order for their relationship to move forward, like, maybe they can't be at the same house anymore, you know, like, whatever. Like, I don't know. Like, what if it has something to do with that, too? If they try and pull that on them, I am going to call the biggest sound of bullshit ever. Because, Dossie, hello, they were at the same house and they were freaking married. Right, but you know how Eamon has literally said in, like, every interview this season, he's like, you know, they're, like, you know, yes, Dossie was married, but, like, Bowden can technically pull rank, and, you know, like, they're not supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to be in a relationship at the house. You know, like, he said that Eamon's, like, enforced that, mainly when it comes to, like, Casey and Brett, like, because that's usually, because they've been, obviously, um, Eamon and Jesse Spencer were doing a bunch of interviews, but he's, like, brought that up in, like, every interview. So I don't know it. I don't know. I'm just making up ideas. But, like, I wonder if that could also be, like, a side consequence of all of this. Yeah. I don't know. Herman's temper, that's an interesting one because, I mean, we're going to touch on that tonight. I I might come down a little hard on him tonight. Like he just, I think we both are. Okay. Okay, good. Because he just he can, he can be really abrasive sometimes. He's Herman, right? So he's, like, you know, the beating heart of 51, not to quote that episode. But, I mean, he really is. But, <laughs> damn, he can be really abrasive sometimes. Yeah. When also, too, like, so I'm assuming that means it's a police officer. We don't know. I hope it's like, we don't why know. why was, like, what does Herman, you know, like, what situation does Herman, self fi- Herman find himself in in order to, like, get in a police officer's face or, you know, like, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. It's just so many questions. So many questions. I know. So PD 707. This is called Informant. Voight pulls Darius in after Crawford asks intelligence to investigate a dangerous drug, but there is little trust in the relationship. Surprise, surprise. 
When their plan to nail a dealer goes awry and another CI is murdered, the team must make a tough decision about Darius. So Michael Beach is back. Yes. Cool. I'm excited. I think that sounds like an interesting episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, there, yeah, there's not a lot, not a lot to go off of on that one, but yeah, cool. 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 <laughs> cool. So the next bit of news we got is from ET Online. Uh, this is a Chicago Med piece. Tori DeVito and Nick Gelfus say Natalie and Will need to kiss and make up. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, this was from One Chicago Day, and it was, I mean, so it was just, you know, them basically saying that, like, yeah, we're kind of over the back and forth, which, like, duh, we all are. Um, The things that I just thought were interesting, because, like, we've obviously talked about the idea that, like, um, Will and Jay's mom's ring is cursed, and that, like, they just need to, like, get rid of it and stop giving it to someone, but I love the idea that they were both just talking about, like, like, Tori was like, yeah, I think Natalie needs a new dress. Like, I think that one's cursed at this point. And then, like, Nick was like, yeah, maybe just the idea of marriage in general is cursed. Like, I just love how they're all, we're all on the same page that, like, is cursed and they need to figure out something else but, like, get back together still. Well, Natalie definitely needs a new dress because, remember, Will got blood on it. Yeah, but there's always bleach. I mean, I guess you don't bleach a wedding dress. I was going to say, still. yeah. I mean, a wedding dress is kind of sacred, isn't it? I'm just saying. She definitely needs a new dress. Yeah. But, like, still, I love how he was just like, yeah, maybe marriage in general is cursed for them. In that universe, for sure. Yeah. Unless you're Platt and Mouch. Or Bowden and Donna. Or Bowden and Donna. Or Cindy and Herman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Funny. But yeah, so the other bit of news we got is from TV Line. This is a little bit of casting news. Andy Allo is joining Chicago Fire. I don't know if I said her last name right, and I'm sorry if I didn't. But it just says here, Chicago Fire has tapped Andy Allo to recur as Lieutenant Wendy Seeger, a young and ambitious Office of Fire Investigation Officer who crosses paths with Severide. Don't touch him, is all I have to say. No. I mean, like... I love the idea of Severide in OFI, but I also hate it because Severide needs to be a 51. Oh my god, that's going to be the career change, isn't it? Yeah, because according to her tweet, she pops up in episode 7. He's going to hate that. He's going to hate being behind a desk. No, but if it has to do with arson, he loves being all intelligence and dealing with arson. He loves that. But then he's got to wear his blues every day, and he's got to be like... You know, little nine to five Kelly. He's going to hate that. But if it's his choice, then how is he going to? I don't know. Uh, uh, Whatever. But interesting. We will see. Last bit of news we got. This is the last bit, right? Or am I just getting ahead of myself? It is. Okay. Ask Osiello. Brenna, take it away. This was like a random note at the bottom of Ask Osiello. Ask Osiello. And it basically just says, showrunner Derek Haas tells TV Line that we'll get an update this season on Casey's ex-wife, Gabby. Okay. Depending on what this update is, this is trolling at its best. Go on. Well, because, I mean, all we need to know is that she's in Puerto Rico, right? And now it's just like, we're going to get an update on her. So, I mean, the update could be that she's like sending a letter home being like, I met someone. It's just like twisting the knife. I know. I, I I feel like Derek wouldn't do that, 
but like he also would. Exactly. Unless the unless the update is like, dear Matt, Antonio's here with me. We're happy. Bye. <laughs> but it's not going right. to be that simple. Well, could might not even be something. I don't. It could not even be from Casey. Like it could be something you hear from Brett. It could be something you hear from Kid. Like it may not have anything to do with Casey whatsoever. It could, and it it, it could also be that she moves from Puerto Rico. I mean, I know you know hurricane. The aid from the hurricane is still ongoing down there, but you know it's been years now since that hurricane. So who knows? But I feel like if PD is sending Antonio down there, theoretically Gabby is still there. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, depending on what this update is, this could be trolling Supreme. Yeah. And, like, is it a big thing? Like, is this, like, a plotline-related thing? Or is this just, like, a throw-in, like, one-sentence thing? It's probably going to be a one-sentence thing. Because they can't really do much with that, right? It's going to be, like, Gabby's doing this. And then what's Casey going to do? Just mope? Right, well, that's more what I meant by plot line. Yeah. But, hmm. yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah. It'll so- be interesting. And, like, yeah, interesting. I, I don't know where else to go with that. Interesting. I know, yeah. Just, hmm, hmm, okay. We'll be on the lookout for that. So, interesting. All the news we've got. As always, you guys know the drill. If you see news, get it to us. You know how to get it to us. Just You're good about that. Again, sometimes we miss things. You guys are really good about helping us out with that. So thank you. Without further ado, I think we shall move into the episodes, shall we? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this episode of Med. Uh, where, do we, where, where do we start? I mean, it was a good episode of Med. It was just straight up good. Right. Yeah. No, I was having, I was telling you this earlier. I was having a conversation with laurel and laura and i were saying the same thing you know like med has been solid like all five episodes this season it has definitely has i agree yeah it's been interesting so i don't know brandon will you get us started please yes um and i think we have to start with will and natalie just because like i feel like the end of med was like the shot heard around the world like or like the the scene heard around the fandom it was like what the heck just happened yep yep big time so basically will hands natalie a case where a toddler had toddler has a bloody nose and she's like what the fuck like what are you doing and she's like i'm gonna pass this off to terry because it's a med student's thing and lanik and then will too is insisting that like she has to do this one and like take it easy um and the only thing i got out of this is like good to know terry is still around mm-hmm. like we haven't seen him but like good to know terry's still around yeah um also speaking of terry perry when she sent us her thoughts for this episode had a great theory how cool would it be if terry was ritter's boyfriend interesting i mean i wouldn't be opposed to it but i think I want it to be somebody outside of the universe. Somebody we don't know. That's fair. I don't want it to be him only because we've seen how this these shows have handled cross-show romances for the most part. Besides mm-hmm. Plouch. Plouch aside. And they never seem to go well. 
And well, so I don't want to ruin They rarely that. seem to exist, too. Right, that too. Mm-hmm. Because they're too hard, which I get. But, like, so from that angle, I don't want it to happen. But, like, when she said that, I was like, oh, my God. Like, that would be so cool if it were to be a thing. Yeah. I mean, it would be cool. But I, I kind of want it to be somebody from the outside. I don't really have a good reason for that. I just kind of want it to be somebody else. Yeah. I mean, and that's to say, Terry still exists, but, like, will we ever see him again? Nobody even knows, so. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know. Hmm. Um, so, basically, Natalie goes in, and she checks out this patient, Lucas, and he's, like, the cutest little boy ever. I was, like, he, like, they were playing peekaboo, and I was, like, dying. I was, like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, and at first, all she thinks is, like, everything is showing that, like, this is just allergies. But he had a fever the day before, and so she's like, um, we'll do some blood tests just to be safe, just to be safe. But the parents aren't for that because they've adopted this, like, naturopathic approach to their health care. And Natalie, you can, like, see the her eyes just, like, rolling as they say that. And it's like, oh, dear Lord, this is not going to be good. Well, not off the bat. I mean, she seems pretty accepting of it in the beginning. Mm. it's like a gradual falling apart yeah but basically she's like it's not going to introduce something into this his system it's just going to detect if something's there that shouldn't be and so they agreed to do the blood test did this like this was interesting because i feel like with natalie like in the beginning of this episode when she was starting off with lucas at first i was like well i understand why she's so pissed at will and lanik like she's doing just fine she's making perfect sense this is fine and then as the episode went on she just kind of gradually started to pile on the weird stuff and i was like okay now this is getting to be a bit much what the hell is happening yeah we'll get there we'll get we'll get there okay okay so Meanwhile, Will gets his own patient who comes in with a swollen calf. Will checks him out. He's worried that the patient has a DVT, a.k.a. a blood clot. And so they're just going to run some tests and give him a blood thinner. You know, nothing crazy. And on the way out, the patient's like, hey, Will, can you hand me my phone? Like, I just need to keep my fiance in the loop. Yeah, and something that was weird about this, though, I mean, we say that he's worried. But was he worried? He seemed awfully casual about this whole thing. It was who worried? Will. About the patient? patient? Yeah, I got like, I don't know. I, I was like. Well, I think in that moment, he wasn't. It was just, like, it's a blood clot. Yeah, they it caught was. They it. It was odd. The, the dichotomy between Will's patient and Natalie's patient. Like, I couldn't quite reconcile it. I'll just shut up now until we get to like the end and then we can discuss. Yeah, no, I don't I don't think Will was worried in this moment because, like, blood clots, I mean, unfortunately, they happen to people all the time. But, like, obviously, if you catch them early, like, you know, mm-hmm. should be no big deal. So I don't think Will was worried in this moment because he shouldn't have been. Um, so then going back to Natalie's patient, Lucas's labs come back. They show dehydration and probably some bacterial sinus infection. And so the parents are like, okay, well, you know, we'll do popsicles for the dehydration and you know blah 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 for the infection and natalie's like actually you should probably do some antibiotics and the parents are like yeah no (laughs) we're not doing that i mean the popsicles made sense to me the popsicles made sense to me i don't know why that's not a thing but i guess like when you're dehydrated i think pop maybe popsicles are a good way to keep you hydrated but not like 
get you back to hydrated. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's why. I don't know. I don't know. It made that part made sense to me too, but I guess not. Mm-hmm. But basically, so they agree to do this like electric electrolyte drink to help with the dehydration, but there's still like no antibiotics. And then Will goes back to check on his patient and the blood thinner is not working. So then Will's like, yo, we're going to send you for a CT. And the guy's like, I still can't get a hold of my fiance. And like my phone's about to die. And so Will's like, I'll call her for you. Like no big deal. But, but just as he's about to do so, he hears Natalie getting into it with her patient's parents. So he's like, hmm, let me watch from the corner of the (laughs) ED. And basically, Natalie says, she's like, I think it's pneumonia now. And they're like, eh, but like you've been saying, it's a sinus infection all day. So like, why haven't you been saying you think it's pneumonia? And then especially she's like, well, the only way you can confirm that is with a chest x-ray. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, we're not, you know, exposing our son to all this radiation. Like, no, no, no. And then Natalie, what I think is this is like where she like starts to step out of line. She's like, they're, you know, make a comment about like seeing their doctor. And Natalie's like, is it like an actual MD? And the mom's like, well, no, it's a holistic healer. And Natalie like rolls her eyes and she's like, oh, and I'm like, Natalie, you can think that, but you can't say that. <laughs> this is mad, Bryna. <laughs> I know, but like, she can't say that. I mean, she, she can't, but like, also she does. I, I think what killed me here is when Will got involved because I was like, Will, like you've been in many a situation just like this where you have not been able to hold your tongue and you've just blurted it out. So like, don't judge. Do not call the kettle, call the kettle black. Like none of that, please. I agree with that. I think more too, maybe what Will's concern is, is that like how much of this is Natalie ruining her, ruining her career. Cause I mean, by the end she's like ruining her career, but like ruining her career because of like her being in the right mind space and how much of this is just like her not even really recognizing that that's what she's doing because of TBI effects. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like maybe in some regard he's like, I don't know if she actually realizes that, like, what she's doing. So, like, I should stop her. But, like, he probably doesn't. But maybe I'm just trying to, like, I don't know. I I mean, I think what killed me here when he got involved, because he just swooped right in. And I was like, excuse you. You don't even know what's going on with this case. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like you said, like, Will swoops in. He's able to convince the parents that, like, a chest x-ray is necessary. But Will, like, tells Natalie, he's like, this is the second time this month that parents have lost your faith in, or lost faith in your judgment. I'm just like, Yeah, that was, like, a little too far, Will. Yeah, like, there's there's a a way to go about these things. And, like, for some reason, the minute Will gets all, like, assertive and, like, I'm an attending, I'm just like, sit down. So... (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a will thing or if he just doesn't quite go about it right. But I think it's hard, especially when he tries to be authoritative with Natalie, because I don't see that as him being an attending. I see that as him being clouded by his love for her. That's fair. But I also think that goes back to everything we've said about, like, that's why we kind of hate that, like, every episode, it seems like the couples work together or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, because it makes us hard it hard for us to tell like in this situation like is it 
Will being clouded by his love for Natalie, or is it like Will trying to be an actual attending and like be her boss? Right, right, and I think that irks me because I like I for for me when he comes down on her like that, I'm like, no, you are literally just like you're being emotional, you're acting out of love for her, and you're hiding behind the whole mask of like, oh, it's because I'm her attending. No, cut the shit, Will. So I think that's why I get pretty annoyed with him pretty quickly when he does these things. Right. So then, speaking of Will, and, like, why Will is, like, the worst, he, his patient is, like, getting a lot worse. And basically, like, all his patient is concerned about is, like, did he get in touch with, did Will get in touch with his fiance? And basically, like, as soon as Will admits that he, like, didn't have a chance to call Aubrey, the fiance, the patient codes. And it's, like, ends up dead in, like, two seconds. So. It's wild. No, it's totally wild. But. I, this was a weird one because, I mean, I, I feel like me with absolutely zero medical knowledge, which I, you know, proclaim loudly every episode before I rip all to shreds, but it seems like he was a little too, like, cavalier about this one. Like, your patient's got a blood clot. Like, where is your urgency? Well, I think that's the point, is that, like, he didn't have the urgency and, like, because he was so focused on Natalie. Yeah. That's what, that was going to be my other question was, I mean... If if Natalie's not fucking up next door, is Will even more attentive towards his patient? Oh, 100%. And he actually calls Aubrey, like he said he was going to. William. But I thought Perry brought up an interesting point. She's like, I would need to go back and, like, actually count. But, like, I feel that Will has lost or has a high rate of a higher rate of losing patients compared to the other doctors (laughs) i'm I'm sure it just feels that way because there was that one season where all of his patients wanted to die yeah last season was it last season that was last season i think so i'm sure it feels that way but that can't be but now i'm half tempted to go keep count as well Maybe we should start keeping count from here on out. Well, I was going to say, we already need to start keeping count of who kicks what door in on what episode between, like, Jay, Kevin, and Emily. So now we can just yeah. keep up, like, the the, the, like, the patient count. I know. Oh, we need to keep this up. But, and then, of course, like, so basically Will loses his patient and then the fiancé shows up and it's like, of course, of course, that's how this goes. I will say, though, as much as Will drives me nuts, of course, the minute he's, like, beating himself up over this death, I just want to swoop in and hug him. It's just Will Halstead. How it goes. How it goes. And so, basically, back with Natalie, the x-ray did not confirm pneumonia. And, like, the parents are just like, we just want to go home. And, like, if something happens, like, we'll bring him back. And Natalie is like, I can't let you do that. And, like, if you try to leave, I'm not going to approve that discharge. And so... What does she do? She's like yelling at the parents and she locks, she goes into the room where Lucas is, locks the door and locks the parents out and basically like gives him the antibiotics. <laughs> it's just like, what the actual fuck, Natalie? What like, the fuck? What the hell? Yeah, like, what are you doing? Every time she does something like this, I always am like, she's committing assault. But this time, not only is she committing assault, but there might be a claim for false imprisonment. I'm like, Natalie, like, stop. Tone it down. 
they actually have to punish her here, right? Like, we're actually going to punish. Like, she's going to get punished, right? Dude, I don't even freaking know anymore. Okay, the way I'm starting to feel about this hospital is the same way I feel about, like, politics. When something batshit happens and you're just like, well, they've got to do something about this, right? And then they don't. So that's kind of the way I'm starting to feel about med is that Goodwin's going to be like, I should punish you. Go back to work. I will, like throw things if that actually happens it's gonna happen just prepare yourself (sighs) like i'm not saying i mean she probably should lose her license but i'm not saying she even needs to go so far as to lose her license but like hello suspend her yeah something like that i mean I mean, I don't know. There's two sides to the conversation, right? A lot of times when, you know, in the past when we've spoken to, you know, Jeff and Steve, our friends of the pod, hi guys, um, you know, they'll say, they'll be like, you know, <laughs> Natalie will, you know, she'll do anything for her patients. She'll advocate for them, this, that, and the other. Yeah, but at the same time, let's think about this from the parent's point of view, right? And the child. This kid is three. He's cute as a button. He has no clue what's going on. He just knows that these right. like, this nice little doctor lady is about to put some medicine in him, but, like, he has no say over this, right? And then the parents right. are, like, losing their autonomy over, like, parenting the child. And, you know, I'm very insightful tonight. I don't know why. I'm sorry. I'm going to drink my wine well, now. Well, and also, too, like, I mean, I think we've said this to Jeff and Steve, too, but, like, at what point then does, like, caring for your patient and being an advocate for your patient which i agree with and that's the part of natalie i do really like Mm -hmm. but like at what point does that cross the line like there is like a fine line still with that yes yes bingo i mean at that point and i at that point the minute natalie not locked herself in the room i understood all of the parents fears now with the medication i'm just okay like you know things happen science is not perfect whatever but the minute she locked herself in the room i was like now i get it like the the hospital is like a house of horrors to them right right it's just yeah well and so i thought our friend melanie brought up a good interesting point and she said you know in her comment she was like could dcfs step in and ask about owen's well-being and she's like that's a far-reaching punishment here but like this is way worse than will and jennifer baker's dnr that is a really interesting what if. I think, I don't think so in this situation. And this is not like legal Gina speaking. This is just one Chicago fan Gina speaking. <laughs> I don't think so because it didn't happen in the home. Like it didn't, Owen wasn't in any danger. Right. That's fair. I just, you know, it is an interesting point. But Melanie also brings up a good point. Is this worse than Will in the DNR from season one? I think it'll depend on how this plays out. Like my gut wants, my gut wants to say this is like really bad and like it's definitely up there. But like, if I think if they like let her get away with this, then no. But if they give her any kind of punishment, then yes. Well, I I feel like if they let her get away with this, that's almost worse. That's a fair point. But I think just like looking back, if she doesn't get, if she gets away with this, then like when we look back on this in like three or four seasons, we'll be like, oh, yeah, remember that time Natalie did, you know, blah, blah, blah. She got away with it, though. So it wasn't that bad. True. So I feel like she needs to be punished for us to for it to be like actually worse than the DNR. If I had a dollar for every time Natalie should have been punished over the past five seasons, I'd be rich. I'd be rich. I'd be rich. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Perry kind of said something in summer. She's like, I really hope they're finally going to punish Natalie for her actions. Like she crossed the line and realistically she would be losing her license. However, in the med world, they'll blame it on her TNI or TBI and give her a suspension. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. True. I don't know, so. man. I, I think my exact text with the, to you last night was like, Natalie has lost it. Yeah. Well, and I texted you cause you weren't even home watching med and like, I didn't text you about anything else. I, like, left my reactions, you know, whatever. I didn't say anything. But I was like, holy crap, Natalie. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. So (laughs) I missed one Chicago Wednesday because Rachel Bloom was doing a show in my area. And I definitely went because, like, Rachel Bloom. Um, but definitely in the, the, when I saw that text message and you were like, we have a lot of talking about Natalie to do, my first thought was, oh, shit. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I felt that. Yeah. But yeah, that's Will and Natalie. <sighs> Yikes. So, yeah. elsewhere, we got Dr. Choi and Dr. Marcel and Noah. This was interesting. Interesting. So, Dr. Choi's patient, he basically has a lot of pain and a lot of nausea, and he's had this issue for years. So he's been seen in Tennessee, but never in Chicago. And his doctors were never really able to come up with a concrete diagnosis. Sucks. So while this is happening, Dr. Marcel is telling Noah stories of all of his medical adventures while he's strolling through the ED. Can we please talk about the start of this story? Like, we're just coming off the crossover, right? Where there's, like, flesh-eating bacteria everywhere. And the start of this story, Dr. Marcel is like, yeah, I opened the intestine and there was a critter. Can we not? Right. I did think that was interesting, though, and kind of the one thing I'll say that, like, the reason I kind of hated that the crossover was more of an isolated story for the most part, at least on med and fire or med and PD. It's because like in, a, like nothing really happened to anyone in, you know, in 51 or at med or at the 21st. But like in that moment, Noah would have made a comment and been like, Oh yeah. You know, something about like relating to the infection or, you know, blah, blah. like they would have made a comment about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like, and I feel like it, it doesn't need to be much, but like just an offhand comment. Okay, cool. That's it. Let's move on. Yeah, just a side note. But, like, also, can we not, like, take med in that direction of just being straight up gross? Because, no, I've had my fill of it. Between last week and the critter story this week, I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Just get back Yeah, to but that goal. was a gross story. It was totally gross. And then Marcel telling the rest of it wasn't even any better. He's like, yeah, I dug through the guy's belly and dug out all three feet of it. I'm like, no, stop. I don't want to hear this. Yeah. Gross. I also don't really like how he's relaying these stories like a total cowboy. I'm like, stop. Like, the rogue surgeon trope is not sexy. Like, you're a surgeon. You have a lot of responsibility. Can I please see you, like, respect that responsibility? Yeah. No, I agree. It's, like, the thing that I hate most about Marcel. It's, like, and the thing I think I hated most about TC, too going back to the night shift because like duh I mean like, we're, we're going to draw this comparison constantly you're just going to have to get used to it we're sorry but yeah no and see, yeah. With, T- with TC I didn't mind I don't know why just because I was like whatever he's crazy like I don't know why I didn't mind it with TC but with Dr. Marcel maybe it's because it just doesn't fit the universe like the rogue cowboy like surgeon in Chicago 
Well, but it also is what annoyed me about him in tonight's episode where he's just like hunting for surgeries. It's like, dude, do you act like where was this Marcel that we saw last week who actually like cared about his patients? Yeah, it kind of like it. reverted everything we learned about him. A little bit. Yeah, just it's that's a trope that I'm I'm over. The the rogue surgeon, like the maverick surgeon, I'm over it. I'm just, you know, whatever. I mean, with that said, we did like we got a glimpse of like the Marcel from last week, which was nice. I'm just, you know, whatever. But yeah, them walking around the hospital trying to determine like which patient was surgical and which wasn't, I'm like that is a terrible look. Oh, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Hated it. Yeah, and so, I mean, at first when Choi starts getting on, or not getting on Marcel, but, like, when Choi starts making, like, snide comments about Marcel, at first I'm like, all right, like, looking for surgeries to poach is pretty dumb. It's not a good look. As things went on, I was just kind of like, okay, now Choi's just being straight up ridiculous. Like, he's got to, like, pull this together. But the surgery thing I'm with him on, because I was like, that's just dumb. Like, they look ridiculous walking around just kind of, like, sniffing out surgical, surgical cases. Yeah, that was more where I, I agree that like Choi's hatred of Marcel towards the end. I was like, okay, come on now. This is a little much. But like I did hate them trolling for surgery cases. Yeah. That comment he made to April when he was like, if Marcel's going to teach Noah, he should teach more in Bragless. That was a little bit of an eye roll moment because I was like, come on, Dr. Choi, you are a grown man. You've got to recognize that everybody's got different teaching styles. But I wonder too, well... No, I guess I'd have to go back and watch season one. But, like, how did he feel? Well, maybe it wasn't because he was, like, maybe now that he's more established, he feels like this is his first real challenge since, you know, because I was going to say, well, my, going back, I was going to say I wonder how Troy felt about Connor when Connor came in. But, like, Troy was still a resident then, so he didn't really have, like, room to talk. No, but you bring up a really fair point, and that was something that I, I was wondering throughout this episode as well. So basically, Carl's labs and x-rays, they come back, but the hospital that he was at in Tennessee went bankrupt, so they're still trying to get the records. Uh, Choi is worried about, you know, his, like, bowel and blood count, and so more tests, yay. But he also notices Noah being like, hey, there could be more, like, looking into. And so basically, Marcella and Noah, they beat, Choi to like a surgery consult and Choi's just like what the fuck and I think what's kind of annoying about this is that Choi almost like puts his ego in front of the patient's needs like he can't even look at the fact that like yeah this patient probably needs surgery I feel like he sticks to his guns on this one just out of pride oh definitely yeah which like I don't know but I I think it's mostly out of pride like say 90 percent pride but like i do think Choi had a point and that like he did need to see the records because like if his sky has been as sick as for as sick as as sick as long as he says he's been sick mm-hmm. then like and that mass like that whole thing with that mass being there you know, like you know it, it probably wasn't the mass but like they don't know that until you get the records and like getting records is like such a pain in the ass already that like dealing with the bankruptcy on top of that like it's like I'm sure that was insane but like I do think Choi had a point yeah but on the flip side of that that scene when they're in Goodwin's office and they're both like advocating their points like lawyers or something ridiculous by the way I couldn't help but wonder and sit there and be like okay listen if this were Connor on the other side would Choi give him this much grief I don't think he would I don't think he would either, but, like, I also don't think Marcel 
like Marcel wasn't just like being nice about it either though right like Marcel wasn't being like yeah I think he needs surgery blah 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 you know like Marcel went and poached the patient and like you know it was also being just as antagonistic as Ethan was like so I think it was like all of it together I guess so I and I, I was willing to look past that I don't really know why but I mean, yeah, I just, I, I thought about that. And I was like, I, I think if this were Connor, Choi wouldn't act this way. I think Choi is just acting out of ego. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, well, I said, well, not 100%, 90%. Okay, yeah. And then the other question I had about Marcel, and I mean, maybe I'll save this for a little bit further when they get into the surgery, but uh, yeah. And so the records are being held hostage, basically. And so we're now like in a showdown between... Marcel and Choi and Marcel wants surgery. Choi is like, no, let's wait. And so Goodwin presents both options to Carl and he opts for the surgery. So during the surgery, Ethan's waiting in the waiting room for updates in like regular civilian clothes. So I guess his shift ended and he hung around the hospital. That was interesting. Um, But yeah. And so, you know, Noah comes out and he's just really happy because like Carl pulled through, everything was textbook and it was great, but Ethan won't even celebrate that victory. Uh, and so I thought this was a sweet moment actually between Ethan and Noah because this this turned out to be another part of why he was acting so weird is that he was just not willing to like let Noah go. Really, I didn't think it was necessarily that he wasn't willing to let Noah go. I think he just wanted to make sure that if he was going to let Noah go, that it was to go to someone who was going to, like, continue the education at, like, the same level. And he didn't feel like Marcel was doing that. So I guess, like, in the same way, we're saying the same thing, but just differently. Yeah. I thought this was a sweet moment, though. He was like, Noah, like, you know I want you to succeed. And then they hugged it out, and it was really sweet. And, you know, Noah's like, yeah, after two years of Dr. Choi boot camp and what I've seen from Dr. Marcel, like, I don't know why I wouldn't succeed. And then Dr. Choi is like, you know, if you ever have any questions or anything, and they hugged it out, it was a really sweet moment. I mean, I I actually really liked that because, you know, we got to see some emotion out of Dr. Choi other than, you know, frustration and, you know, combativeness. So I thought that was interesting. When I feel like it fulfilled the, like, Ethan, Noah, like, brother to boyfriend moment we've always wanted. Yes, yes. And so uh, we we should address that first moment, though, with Ethan and Noah when Ethan was talking to April. <laughs> that was pretty great. Yeah. Um, that was cute. Yeah, basically, Ethan is trying to, like, wink at April, and it turns out that Ethan has about as much game as Casey, as in he has none. Um <laughs> And so, like, Ethan walks away, and he's like, I'm guessing you saw that. And Noah's like, yeah, it's burned into my retinas. Like, you oogling my sister. Yep, it's, it's, yep, burned there. Burned into my retinas. Can't get rid of that. So, yeah, thought that was sweet. Yeah. Cute. So there was another moment in this Dr. Choi and Dr. Marcel bit. I can't remember what Dr. Marcel did. It was towards the beginning, but he did something that kind of made me a little, like, skeptical. And I was wondering, I was like, you know, I think it's an interesting question to ask, you know, do we have higher expectations for Dr. Marcel because he essentially replaced Connor? Like, do we keep him on a tighter leash because, you know, at the slightest transgression, we could just say, like, they got rid of Connor for this? I mean, maybe, like, subconsciously, but honestly, I think I'm more am angry about Marcel 90% of the time because he's not what I thought he was going to be. And, like, he kind of almost doesn't live up to TC in a way. Which I know they're, like, two different shows. And, like, I get, like, it's two different writing rooms. Like, I know that's kind of crazy. 
but like I thought he was gonna be so much more like TC than he is and like it kind of more drives me wild that like he's not yeah yeah that's a good point although we got a glimpse of the Marcel from the crossover though because right before they opened Carl up in surgery he was kind of like just like pep talking him you know he was like you're gonna be okay we've got this like it's okay I thought that was kind of cool but even then I thought that was still kind of cocky I mean, more cocky I didn't see, than I didn't Connor's see, body I, complex? I didn't see that as, like, Marcel doing it for, like, the patient's benefit. I thought Marcel just kind of did. I don't know. Like, I just, I that wasn't to me like a, oh, yeah, that's a nice, sweet moment. Like, I just didn't, like, I, I don't know. Interesting. Did you ever see the movie um, If I Stay? No. It was based on a book. I can't remember who wrote it right now. Oh, and I can't even remember when I read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm familiar with the book. I just haven't okay. read. I haven't seen the book. So there's a moment in the movie right before they're about to operate on, I think the girl's name is Mia, the main girl. Um, and the like anesthesiologist, she just kind of nails down and she just whispers to her. And she's like, listen, a lot of people think that like it's on us to, you know, like bring you back and save you. But really the decision's yours. Like if you want to survive, you have to fight. It was something along those lines. And she just kind of whispered it to her as this girl's about to go into surgery. So there's no way in hell Mia heard her. But it was just a sweet gesture. I kind of like likened it to that. Interesting. It's a good movie. You mm. should see it. I probably never. Well, maybe I'll get around to it, but I well, have a feeling I'll like cry my eyes out. So no, I thought okay. Well, well, the book was really good. The book was really good. It's always like you know the the debate between book and movie. Like the book always explains the why, and the movie right. just explains the how. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I like that. I like that. What Marcel does, like he's just really like nurturing with the patients. I like that. So jury's still out. There's more episodes to go. So mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. Will you take us through Maggie? Yes. Speaking of crying, this is like basically like the opening scene for Maggie is like, you know, her, we like see her, she's like losing her hair and you like brushing her, you know, like just finally like the cancer is like and the effects of the chemo are like taking effect. And so it's just like, you know, silent scene and she's just getting ready for the day and you see her putting on her wig and it's just, just so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Maggie and so basically you know she has a scene and she like asks april to take over for her for the afternoon because she has an appointment and april's just confused because like maggie's been short with her you know for the last few weeks and monique just kind of confirmed she's like yeah like maggie's been weird like she even had this moment where she like laid on the bed in the ed and like you know yelled at me blah 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 and it's just you know monique basically confirms that april's suspicions mm-hmm. and maggie even has a moment later on where she's like so short with Natalie where when Natalie's like asking, she's like, you know, there's all these patients here and I can't do anything, blah, blah, blah. I just want to help. And Maggie like yells at her too. Mm -hmm. And then we see Maggie though in her chemo session and we see the first person who's not Sharon find out about her diagnosis. And that's Cece because Cece's volunteering upstairs. And, you know, Cece and her have this like real, bonding moment because they've both been through you know they've both been through it and cc just tells her she's like you know i know it sounds like a cliche but like there is strength in community but maggie brings up the flip side and she's like yeah but there's also pity and obligation and i don't want any of that 
But she does take Cece's words to heart eventually. And, you know, she silently comes clean to her nurse friends by, like, we see it's Doris and Monique and April. And Maggie, like, waits for them after a shift and they're coming out. And Maggie, like, goes up to them. And, you know, without any words, she just takes off her wig. And, you know, they understand and they share this embrace or whatever. And I just the power of silence and what they did with Maggie stuff and just kind of letting the actions speak for it, I thought was really powerful in this episode. Yeah, it was good. I, I kind of wanted to hear her say it to them, but I think that's just, you know, to drive the point home even more. This, this was effective with the silence. When I feel like, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll hear her say it to either, you know, like, no, Natalie or Will or mm-hmm. Dr. Charles or whoever. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I just I thought what they did with silence in this episode when it comes to Maggie was like really well done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the question just popped in my head of like, how's Natalie going to take it when she finds out? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but Perry made a good comment. She's like, you know, for the first time, you know, in a long time, she's not only seen as means the cheerleader and actually seen that on her own. Um, and she's like, the scene with Maggie and the nurses was amazing. I bought through it. Like, love me some female empowerment and support. For sure. Big time. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah. So I'm guessing she transferred her treatment to med, right? If she's running into Cece? Yeah. I mean, but she had to know that they were going to find out sooner or later. If she moved her treatment to med, it was going to happen. Yeah. That's true. And I, I mean, just like now, it's like, she technically told April, so I'm assuming April's going to tell Ethan and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so you know, like, it, the cycle is going to keep coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Maggie. Hmm. I know. So, Dr. Charles and Cece and Goodwin also had stuff going on. I'm freaking loving Cece. She's fantastic. I love her. She's so cute. Yeah. So Dr. Charles is taking care of Eunice. She's a patient who was brought in by the police after neighbors were concerned by her pacing and ranting. I have not an issue, but like when shows do the whole like lawyer who has snapped storyline, I get very defensive. But I will say that Chicago Med handled this right. So Dr. Charles is taking care of Eunice. She is a... Basically, like, she's an associate of the law firm, and she is brought in by the police after neighbors are concerned by her pacing and ranting. Um, And so, you know, later on, basically, Dr. Charles tells Eunice that, you know, yeah, she's under a lot of stress, but she's showing symptoms of bipolar. And so, of course, she's in denial. Like, she has student loans. She's worried about making partner. And at one point she looks at him and she just says, like, look, I know the criteria for involuntary commitment. Like, legally, you can't keep me here. (sighs) Okay, I'll say this. This is I'll I'll get myself out of the hole I backed myself into a minute ago. But I like this storyline. It didn't like. I don't know. Like, I I felt it because I've been there. I mean, we all we all know like Gina's in the legal field, right? We all know this, right? And so my last year of grad school, I kind of hit a breaking point. And when my doctor told me, you know, I think you might be clinically depressed, the first thought I had, I was like, there's no way. Like, this doesn't happen. I'm so young. Like, this is not a thing. This is ridiculous. 
And so I eventually kind of had to come to terms with that. And so seeing her go through this, I was like, oh, you're tugging on the heartstrings. Like, I've seen this. I've been there. My heart. So I felt that. But yeah, so she basically told Dr. She tells Dr. Charles, she's like, I know the criteria for involuntary commitment. Like, you can't keep me here. I will. Okay, two things. One, I wonder if it's just because I don't relate to the storyline in the same way that you do. Mm-hmm. But like, to me, I felt like the storyline got lost. And like, I don't feel like, like, I felt like, not what was the point, because I get like what the point of it is. But it was like, there was so much else happening that I was like, did we really need to see Dr. Charles have a case here this week, too? Because like, it just felt like there was so much else happening. That like, I was like, okay, two, three scenes. Okay. Like, Maybe, but again, I don't know if that's just because I'm not relating to it or if I, you know, like just felt, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring that up because I didn't even think about that of like, what was the point of this? So I'm wondering now if they were trying to draw a parallel with what happens at the end with Cece, but kind of, maybe it's a point about meddling. Well, no, not even necessarily what was the point of this. I just felt like, you know, how a lot of times too, when like, like, the cases feel like there's, like, a lot more involved in them, you know, have to figure, you know, they think it's one thing, and that it ends up probably being something else, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know how, like, cases usually, when they focus on them, have all those different things, and this was, like, it was just so simple, and I was just like, okay, well, it just felt like it got lost in, like, everything else that was happening last night, to me, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, and I... But again, I don't know if that's because I don't relate to it, or if I, I don't know. No, I can see that. Um, and I, I didn't even think about that at the time because, honestly, I mean, like Brenna was saying, you know, I just kind of related to it a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, she can't even make it out of med and then she just immediately tells Dr. Charles, she's like, I need help, which, like, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, I, I did like that part, though. Yeah, I, no, and I, I loved that, how, like, she couldn't even make it out of the hospital and she was like, no, I need help. Like, I can't do this, so... It's okay to ask for help. It's okay not to be okay. Even Tipsy Gina thinks that. I'll shut up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe the parallel there is with uh, Cece. I don't know. But basically, Dr. Charles and Cece, they're, heading at, or they're hanging outside the hospital. And Cece's just being freaking cute. She's just sitting there. And she's like, I want to make lasagna. And Dr. Charles is like, okay, like, cool. Let's do that. Let's do that. So when Dr. Charles gets home, frickin' Bert is in the kitchen. What is she doing? I don't know. What is Cece thinking? But also, where are we taking this? Like, is Cece meddling for the right reason? Is she going to get them back together? No, because Bert and Sharon don't need to be getting back together. I mean... It's a terrible idea. I don't quite, I don't remember them ending on such terrible terms. I, to my, to what I remember, Bert left Sharon because she was always working. Well, I think that's part of it. But then obviously Bert has the whole history with like him going to get remarried and the, the his wife coming in as a patient and blah, blah, blah. Like there's that whole history too. Oh, true. So what is Cece doing? I don't know. Hmm. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't know. Do we have any other notes about med? No, I think that's it. Okay. Brandon, will you start us off with fire? Yes. Let's talk about Stella. Because Stella kicked ass this week. So much ass. So basically, 
we start out and we get a great Stellaride scene. I cannot even speak tonight. And basically, Severide walks Stella to her car. She's about to take off for this leadership seminar. And she's like going through all these things that she thinks she forgot, but really she didn't because she's badass and she's just getting in her head. Basically, like, Sev is being just as supportive as he can be, and he's just like, You got this, Stella kid. I just, I stand a supportive Sev. It's it's really the best. Is this going to be like their version of Lucas and Brooke and being like, hey, pretty girl, like you got this, Stella kid. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> Stop. I can't. But like also it's kind of the best. Oh, my God. It was so good. So, so good. So good. And basically Stella gets to this leadership seminar thing and she like, you know, decides to make friends or friends. And she goes over to the only other woman there, and she's, like, you know, trying to introduce herself or whatever, but this, like, woman isn't having it. And she's, like, oh, I didn't realize that, like, officers, people who weren't, or people who aren't about officers were invited. And just, like, walks away. And it's just, like, really? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, but the seminar, like, we get a glimpse of it, and, like, so far, it, like, looks like boot camp more than a seminar. Like, maybe I was just, like, I don't know, I pictured, like, conference center, you know, like convention hall whatever but this is like they have to wear the equipment and Stella gets yelled at for like not having her gloves on and she's like what yeah it's what a, kind of seminar is this yeah seminars in firefighter land are different for sure when I also just thought too maybe I was wrong but like I just assumed it was like in Illinois and that like Bowdoin was sending people from the district that like I just assumed it was going to be like maybe more of like a Illinois thing and then there's like people from Chicago and or not well Chicago and like Boston and like Pittsburgh and Denver and I'm just like wait what huh yeah I I mean it was weird did they even say where this conference was in Springfield oh okay like not that far I don't think no because remember Severide wanted to move there fuck you're right he did I forgot about that uh huh. We've had so many references to other seasons that I'm like, these are things that I keep forgetting. Yeah. Yep. Severed wanted to move there once upon a time to be with Anna. Oh, you're right. Mm hmm. So basically, Stella calls Severed and she's like still worried that she's not worthy of this opportunity and she doesn't fit in and blah, blah, blah. And like, he gets called, um, to uh, call or whatever and like before he hangs up she's like can you just tell me one more time that I got this and he's just like you got this Stella kid and it's just like oh. I know every time he says Sev. that we're all just like hmm <laughs> when even before that he's like he's like I don't know if you want advice or if you just want to vent and I'm just like oh my god like yes I love this like this is great boyfriend of the year Severide might be my favorite Severide Oh my god, I love it so much. It's pretty great. It's so good. And so basically, like, the chief that's, like, leading this seminar or whatever, he, like, presents this hypothetical scenario, and a bunch of guys give their answers, and they're wrong, and Stella, you know, gives the one that kind of seems out of left field, but ends up being the correct one. And so, of course, this, like, impresses all of her fellow attendees, and they, like, end up nominating her to lead this, like, incident for another activity, and so, you know, things, like, turn out to be really good. And so, basically, the chief from the seminar calls Bowden 
and like sing Stella praise, Stella's praises. And, you know, he's like, you're right. She's got real potential. And it's just, uh, I can't wait to see like Stella become a lieutenant one day. Yeah. Is that what the end game is here? Cause it was interesting when Bowden had the conversation with that chief and he was like, yeah, she's got real potential. And he was just almost like relieved. Well, I think because he made such a big deal to like get her into this thing because you're not this seminar was only for officers. So it was a big deal that like Bowden got her in mm-hmm. when she's not an officer. And so I think he felt relieved that like he what he sees in her is like confirmed by someone else. Yeah. True. And I also just loved so like at the end, like Stella comes back and like said like legit meets her at her car like she doesn't even like step out one step and he's like already there and i just i just love them it's just so perfect and wonderful and pure and awesome like i tweeted this last night i was like i don't remember i mean i do obviously remember a time when stellaroid wasn't a thing but like it's hard for me to remember stellaroid not being happy and i like don't want to go back there because like stellaroid happy is like the best it really is the best and it i just yeah just, like, put it on, like, an IV drip and, like, inject it into my veins. It's so perfect. I love it. But, like, actually, though. Mm-hmm. So good. So the other big story from this episode of Fire is the big tow truck mystery. So while Stella's gone, Casey tells Mouch that he wants him to drive the truck. Okay, so I have a question here. Why is driving the truck such a big deal to everyone? Am I missing something? I think they just like it. I don't know. Okay. Because, yeah, I just, I don't know. Everybody's so obsessed with driving the truck, and I'm just like, I don't I don't get it. I would probably be stressed out. I'd be like, you know, it's a big-ass fire truck. It's a lot of responsibility. I don't know. Okay, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm just missing things here. I don't know. So 51 gets called to an accident. There's a car crash with a female victim who had her feet on the dash. Okay, let this all be a friendly PSA to everybody. Never, ever, ever put your feet on the dash. Don't do it. Oh, my God. I, like, it, like, brought me back to this place. Like, I can remember my dad coming home from a surgery one day when I was a kid. I was maybe, like, seven or eight or maybe nine, like, somewhere in that range. And I remember him telling me about him, like, doing an operation on a girl who, like, had her feet up on the dash and you know like something very similar and like she didn't lose her legs but it was like you know a big thing and like that memory has always stuck with me and like so I've never done it since then and like just seeing it in this I was just like oh yeah just no never put your feet on the dash ever not only did like she wham her face into her legs but like I think she like fractured her leg and then like her ankles were broken it was just a lot of awful things like don't put your feet on the dash don't. It's horrible. No. Ooh. So, yeah, 51 rolls up, and basically, it's like, it's a three-car crash, basically, but the middle car is, like, on top of the third car, and I'm, like, I'm, like, trying to illustrate this with my hands, like, you guys can see me, but, you know, whatever, but, yeah, and so the car on top is the one that basically keeps crushing her, and so Mouch suggests anchoring one car to a nearby tow truck while they pull the other one with the truck. So, I mean... It's really fascinating to hear them when they get to this scene because it's it's like they're playing bumper cars, right? They're just like, grab this car, move that car, like shift that car this way. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the girls from the third car, she basically tells Gallo that, you know, the guy in front of her who left the scene, 
he basically slammed on his brakes for no reason. And so the girl with her feet on the dash, they get her out, no problem. And the tow truck guy is like a total asshole. He, like, tow truck guy, like, he moves the car and everything that he does as Nouch tells him to do. But then he looks at Severide and he's like, so do I get a bonus or something? And every time somebody says something smart-ass to anybody in these casts, I always cringe. Like, especially if it's Severide or Voight and somebody says something smart-ass, I'm like, don't do it, don't do it. I No, ooh, ah, like, awkward, stop. And so the minute he said that and Severide was like, what? I was like, this is so uncomfortable. Make it stop. Bad. It was bad. It was bad. It was pretty bad. So back at 51, Gallo is essentially, he's like recanting the story to Ritter and he's just singing about his praises. And so Ritter's like, yeah, well, everyone tells you to watch the officers at 51, but I learned the most from watching this guy and like Pat's mouth on the shoulder. Just adorable. And I'm, we're already seeing like the budding of a friendship between Ritter and Gallo. Awesome. Love it. Perfect. Oh my God. That was amazing. I also just really love, too, because obviously Mouch is the one who, like, got rid of under 51. And I just mm-hmm. like to see that little, like, tiny callback. Like, it was really nice. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, that I love about this is that I'm realizing more and more, I'm like, oh, my God, I freaking love Gallo. Why do I love him so much? Because he always puts such a positive spin on things. Like, he's got such energy, and it's just such, like, untapped, like, young energy that everything he says, he's, like, the eternal optimist. And I love it. Like... When Casey's like, hey, Mouch, you're going to drive the truck. And Mouch is like, okay. Gallo comes over and pats him on the shoulder and is like, hey, congrats. Like, good job. Which is, like, really sweet. And then at the accident, it's even so little as, like, when that girl, when, you know, he checks on the, the girl and the girl is like, I'm not making this up. And he just looks at her and just very calmly is like, I know. I believe you. Like, I know you didn't. He just, like, always has something positive to say. So, so far, I'm like, I love this kid. He's fantastic. Yeah. But I think, too, I mean, like, he has no reason not to be after hearing his story. You know, yeah. like, he's just so grateful, A, that he lives and, you know, be that to do the job that he's always wanted to do. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. But I just I love his energy. I love it. And especially it, it brings a lot of, like, levity to the show in, like, a different way than the B story, you know, because the, the comedic storyline always is, like, hysterical. But Gallo brings, like, a different sort of levity to it. I love it. So, yeah, I'll swear. Rick Ferguson from the City Safety Committee, he rolls up and basically chews out Mouch's decision because there would have been a lot of liability issues if something had gone wrong with the tow truck because he's like a private tow truck employee, not a city employee, whatever. But Casey is like, yeah, it worked out. So like, shut up. You're just being annoying. And so Rick backs down. Rick's like, listen, it all worked out today, but like, let's make sure there's not a next time. And then before he leaves, he looks at Casey and he's just like, he goes, you really ought to think about putting somebody else behind the wheel of your truck, Captain, because ultimately you're responsible for his actions. You don't even go here. I don't know. I just, I wanted to yell so much at my TV at that point. There are so many people in Chicago who like to just roll up and tell them how to do their jobs. Like, stop it. I know. Just, can we not? Can we not? No. Don't do it. It's bad. So, of course, Casey and Sev, they back Mouch because, like, duh. Duh. Of course. (laughs) Hello. Um, I do love how every time, like, a problem pops up in the firehouse, regardless of whether it's truck or squad, it's always Casey and Sev. It's never just, like, Casey and Bowden or Sev and Bowden. It's Casey and Sev and Bowden. I love it. I stand in the squad. It's the best. So good. 
So Gallo finds Mouch in the bathroom and, you know, Mouch is kind of thinking about what Rick said. And he basically, Gallo pretty much says he's like, you know, he's still impressed with what Mouch did. And so Mouch just tells him, he's like, I appreciate what you're saying, but like, don't follow my example. You know, aim higher up the ladder, like Severide, Casey, Herman, they know what they're doing. I hate when Mouch has like a crisis of confidence because I just want to shake him and be like, you could aspire to be any guy in this firehouse and it would be more than enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think it bumps me out too is because like Match has been on the job for so long that he feels like he's like, you know, no longer the cool thing or the person to follow or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, no, Match, that's not the case. Just like. It's the opposite. Like Match is the one I would sit down with over drinks and be like, tell me stories about your career. I want to hear everything. Yeah. Match and Herman for sure. I don't even know if I'd want to hear Herman because I think Herman would just tell me like Herman would probably like talk it up. To make it sound even more eventful. I think Mouch would just be like story time. Mm, fair point. I don't know. That was cool. So 51 goes to another car crash. But as soon as they arrive on scene, like Severide's not even out the door. And annoying tow truck guy from the first call is like hooking up one of the cars and driving away. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're committing a crime right in front of this guy. Why are you doing that? It's just stupid. The actual worst. Just the actual worst, yeah. So there's a guy in one of the cars, and he mentions that the guy in front of him hit his brakes out of nowhere. And so little Detective Severide is like, hmm, something's up here. I don't know. And so Severide and Casey compare notes about how eerily similar the two calls are, and they start to piece it together. Detective Severide is like my second favorite behind Boyfriend of the Year Severide. I know. It's great. It's just great. It's really great. I'm telling you, Severide could hang with intelligence. Oh, 100%. I need that, actually. I need an episode where Severide's, like, with intelligence. I had this, like, random thought today when I was thinking about, like, Detective Severide and, like, how much he could hang with intelligence. Did you ever see, and you may not have, depending on how far you ever got in your glee world, the episode where, like, this is in season three, like, where Tina, like, bangs her head. It's, like, so stupid, but, like, Tina bangs her head and, like, ends up, like, in her mind, like, switching everybody together. So, like, Tina becomes Rachel and, like, Rachel becomes Tina and, like, it's just, like, everyone, like, switches, whatever. No, I've never and seen I just, that. Like, ha- well, it's terrible. You don't need to watch that. It's not a great episode. <laughs> but, like, anyway, I, like, just had this moment. I was, like, what if, like you switched, like, Severide and Jay, like, in that, like, kind of that, like, style. Oh, and God. I was just, like, I was just, like, I had this thought. I was, like, oh, my God. Like, Severide in intelligence would be pretty great. I'd be here for it. But Jay at 51. Jay at 51. Let's see. What kind of firefighter would he be? I think he'd be pretty good. I don't see him just, like, charging into a burning building. I see him having some fear about that. I don't know. I think he'd be pretty good. He'd be truck for sure, right? Do you see him on squad? Definitely not squad. He'd be truck or engine for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. I'm going to ponder that now. Interesting. So, Mouch goes to the hospital to check on the girl who had her feet on the dash. And her friend basically tells him, like, she's going to be fine. If she had gotten here one minute later, like, she would have lost her legs. 
And so Mount just so relieved. He's just like, oh, thank God. Like, it totally restores his confidence, which, like, shame on you, city services man, for even shaking it to begin with, okay? Like, it's not cool. I also, like, there was no point in that guy showing up because, like, I just assumed I was like, oh, so this is, like, actually going to be a thing. Like, we're going to see him again. You know, it's going to be more of, like, a them fighting the city on this, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just, like, that scene, and I was like, huh? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It was weird. I mean, right from the get-go, I was like, no, you did the right thing, Mouch. Like, you did the right thing. And Casey backed you. So even if it was the wrong thing, I'm still going to sit here and be like, well, still. I don't know. He got the Casey version of a Bowden nod. So, like, I'm cool with it. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Severide then goes to the junkyard. And he starts taking pictures of the tow truck and his stuff. This is, like, full-on... Don't give a fuck, Kelly, which I'm so here for. So he snaps the pictures, and the guy who runs the tow truck yard is like, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you taking pictures of my, my property? And he's like, yeah. Like, none of the fucks. And so yeah. my favorite, too, is when the guy is like, he tells him to, like, get off his property or something. I don't know. He says something to Severide, like, you better watch yourself. And Severide just holds up the phone and puts the camera in his face and snaps pictures as he walks away. Oh, my goodness. So good. So many Severides tonight. Like, don't give a fuck Severide, Petty Severide, Boyfriend of the Year Severide, Arson Severide. I'm here for all of it. So good. It's just so good. It's so good. So then Sev takes it one step further. He goes to the hospital to see the victim in the first crash. And basically the tow truck guys show up like in the middle of this and Sev is just not even shaken. When does he tell him? And he's like, I don't get nervous. Was that at the tow truck yard? Yes, I think so. I about died when he was like, yeah, and I don't get nervous. I was like, yes, Kelly. Ooh, love it. So good. But yeah, Severide, but he basically guilts these guys into turning on the tow truck guy and talking to the cops. Also, hey, Jay. Hi. Hi. I love it. I love it. I love any episode where we get Detective Severide and Jay shows up. It's just the best. It really is, though. We were hashtag blessed on this one, Chicago Wednesday. We were. We really were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brenna, please take us through the newsletter. This is so great. This was so good. So basically, Match announces that he took it upon himself to create this newsletter, The Burn Notice, to basically keep everyone in the station in the know. Although it's really just like him being salty that everyone missed his birthday and he just wants an excuse for cake because cake is what unifies people. Dodgina. Dodgina. <laughs> um, I'm half tempted to make a shirt with a cake and then just say like unity underneath it. Oh my God, please. I mean, would you guys buy it? I don't know. It would be so funny. It would be funny. Um, and so basically, like, Brett, though, takes it upon herself to, like, help out because she's, like, the execution is lacking. And she's like, yeah, it'll just be like we did with Sheets on Fire. And I just, like, I love that they so reference that. I died when Gallo and Emily both were like, what's Sheets on Fire? I was like, oh, my God, please tell them. Please tell them. <laughs> yeah. That was so good. And basically, so, like, everyone else offers to pitch in. You know, Emily's like, I'll do a gossip column. And Ritter's like, I wrote on my school newspaper, so this will be great, blah, blah, blah. And I also love how, like, they have a newsletter staff meeting and Foster's, like, going through her blind items for her gossip column. And they all happen to be about Seb and Stella hooking up. Like, it's so good. <laughs> I laughed so hard. 
so hard. Yo, were you on your high school newspaper? We didn't have a newspaper, so no. You didn't? Oh, I was on mine my senior year. Yeah, fun. Yeah. Memories. And yearbook was kind of a joke, so no, I did not do it. I was in yearbook for a hot second. It wasn't great. I didn't like it. Yeah. So I would have if I had, if we had had a newspaper, but we didn't have a newspaper, so it was not. Hmm. Um, and so basically, Brett ends up taking things like a little too far because she's Brett, and like ends up cutting everyone else's sections and like redoing them herself. And like, I was kind of sad though because I would have totally read that profile on Tony that um, Ritter wrote. Like, oh yeah, totally, absolutely. I mean, Brett had to be like the student council president in high school, right? Oh, she had to be, like, yeah, like, the student council president, like, the person who's, like, running the dances, like, you know, doing everything. Definitely Sylvie. Oh, yeah. 100%. So funny. So funny. And I love how they roped everybody into it. So funny. Yeah. But I love, too, like, Bowden finds out about it and, like, sees that everyone's arguing about it. So he just rips it up. He's mm-hmm. like, this is it. We're done. <laughs> and Brett, like, glares at Mouch. And he's just like, I just wanted some birthday cake. I think this is one of the better executed B stories. Oh, this would definitely go in my top ones. This was hilarious. It was so good. I think just because of the scale and how many people got roped into it. it yeah, that was really funny. And they were all just like bickering. Oh my God. And Cruz and the, or not Cruz, Cap and the connect the dot puzzle. <laughs> I died. Oh yeah. Which I'm <laughs> assuming was a penis. But. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I'm a child. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, that was Yeah, funny. it was so good. Oh, that was so funny. Yeah, great. Yeah. So great. So Chloe and Cruz, we got some resolution there. So Mouch outright oh, is thank like, God. hey, Cruz, did you propose to Chloe yet? And Sylvie's like, dude, what are you doing? And so Cruz is just like, no, I haven't gotten the chance. Like he kind of tiptoes around it. Brett chastises him for it. But Mouch is like, dude, Chloe's like head over heels for Cruz. You know, it's great. So, you know, it, it's what we all thought, right? Until she freaking broke up with him. But whatever, whatever. I don't know. So Brett goes to Cruz, asks him about a column for the newsletter, and he just instead spills that Chloe dumped him. Because he, he basically thinks that she's going to ask him about Chloe, but she's not. And so Brett just, like, Brett totally pep talks him. And she's such a good friend in this episode. Like, she meddles in a good way. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And so she just keeps telling him over and over. She's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, what the hell? You guys have been together for like a year. And it's like, thank you, Brett. Like, have you been listening to what we were saying last week? Because this is exactly what we've been saying. And so Brett takes it upon herself to go have coffee with Chloe and get to the bottom of it. First off, when they're having this conversation, Chloe's like, yeah, I know. Like, I haven't seen you in a week. Okay, I'm sorry. Brett and Chloe have been hanging out. Well, they apparently do, what was it, yoga? Yoga, whatever it was, spin cycle, whatever it was. Where was our invite? Yeah, I know. Chloe. I don't know. So Chloe basically tells Brett that when she and Joe met, he was literally the man of her dreams. But then she realized she was like, I can't be with a firefighter. And she said, she's like, I can't handle wondering every day if I'm going to see him at home or at the hospital. And so she mentions that, like, the the thing that kind of triggered all this is that she's been spending a lot of time with Lily the last couple of months. And she just says, she's like, what she's been through, like, I'm not strong enough. And so Brett reminds her, Brett's like, dude, Cruz is one in a billion. Like, you'd be pretty crazy to let him go. 
And so, I mean, I love this conversation. I love like the wing womanness. I love, yeah, I just, I love all of it. And I just also like Chloe's been hanging out with Lily and also like, how's Lily doing? I want to know. I mean, I know. I hope we get to see her again, even if it's just for like that one update. Yeah. I just want to know how she's doing. Like, I know she's fictional, but still, I want to know how she's doing. So <laughs> Chloe shows up at Cruz's place at the end and she comes clean and she just like she starts off and she's like, well, you saved me from a burning building and a car wreck. So I panicked because like, what if you get into trouble and I can't save you? And she says, you know, I'm never going to completely stop worrying about that. Just so you know. It's so cute. I like the what if you get into trouble and I can't save you line. Like, kill me now. Oh, like, I know. It was the best. And then how he responded to that, he was just like, Chloe. I was like, oh, this is so sweet. Oh, my God, I'm dying. Also, when she mentioned the car wreck, that was another reference to a past season that I was like, oh, yeah. Goodness. And then I was like, Chloe's been through a lot. This poor thing. Goodness. Yeah, and- that was last season's mid that was last season's mid-season finale. It feels like it's been longer than that. But yeah, it was. Wow. I know. Poor Chloe, man. Like, she got saved from a burning building and then she had a car accident. Like, oof. Mm-hmm. I think this means that Cruz and Chloe have suffered enough and that they should have smooth sailing for a long time now. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So she baked him some cake pops and the cake pops say, ask me. It's just the cutest thing. I can't even take it. I thought she was going to bake something that said, like, yes. But Ask Me is just, like. When the cake pops, too, and, like, that being a reference, too. It's just, like, oh, all the callbacks. Wait, what's the cake? What are the cake pops a callback to? The last season when she, like, comes back for the first time and, like, brings him stuff. Like, that's what she brings him. I don't remember that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so Joe doesn't even hesitate. It says, ask me. Joe immediately gets down on one knee. And Chloe says, yes. Thank God. Oh, my God. Joe is getting married, y'all. Joe's getting married. Oh, I'm, like, dying over here. Also, like, this is a fictional wedding. But also, like, I really want to go. <laughs> like, I want to go to this wedding. I, oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I want to go to this wedding. I just, they're so sweet. Um. Cruz does drop the cake pops, which, you know, I had a quick moment of like, no, but he's getting married. I can't stop smiling. I know. Okay. Cruz deserves to be so happy. I just like, I'm going to keep thinking about that. Like, what if I, like, you get in trouble and I can't save you line. Like, that's just going to be like iconic. I know. What a killer. Oh my goodness. Right in the feels, right in the feels. And I, the question I had off of this, now that they're engaged, it's a Handmaid's Tale question, basically, but you wouldn't know the answer because you don't watch Handmaid's Tale. Um, if one of our listeners watches Handmaid's Tale, please remind me. In the season three finale, does Kristen's character escape Gilead? I can't remember. So please tell me. Um, I don't think she does, and I can't remember because I was wondering. I was like, now that they're engaged, does that mean we're going to see her more? But she's on Handmaid's I mean, Tale. I'm sure. I mean, maybe this season, but like. I don't think, in general, I don't think she's going to appear more than, say, like, someone like Donna or Cindy. Like, I don't, you know, I think once they get married, she's going to become, like, in that level, in that, like, wives club. I will take all of the Chloe, please, and thank you. I love her. She's adorable. Pretty much from the moment that we met her in that first crossover, I was like, oh, my God, she's the cutest thing ever. Yeah, 100%. 100%. 
So the last bit we had was Herman and his son Luke. So we got we got a glimpse at one of the mini Hermans in this episode. And so, um, yeah, we we might have a lot to say about this one. Bryna, please take it away. Yeah, well, it's not even like a big storyline. It's basically like Luke and Cindy stop by the firehouse, and apparently Luke has decided he like wants to be a firefighter, just like Herman. I mean, we always thought it'd be Annabelle, but you know, it could still be. Okay, cool. Yeah, it could also be both of them. Mm-hmm. But basically, so the one scene that like kind of this whole storyline is is like Herman is behind the bar and he gets a call from Luke that a friend of his jumped off the roof and tried to make it into the pool and missed. And luckily, the friend's going to be okay. You know, Luke did CPR, and, you know, Herman and Emily got there in time, you know. But Herman chews Luke out, and he's like, you're the son of a firefighter. Like, you don't just stand aside and let your friend do something stupid, even though you know it's wrong. Like, you tell them to stop, and, like, you don't let them do it. This ruined the whole story for me. Because, like, they got there, and Luke is doing CPR, and I'm like, yeah, Luke, like, good job. Like, you know, you obviously clearly want to follow in your dad's footsteps and look at what you're doing. Like, this is awesome. He's like 13 at most. Right. And Herman just like chews him out for no reason. I'm like, dude, you're not going to talk about the fact that like, if your son wasn't doing compressions by the time you got there, the guy probably would have died. Like most, right, which I feel like Emily even mentions at some point. Yeah. Like most 13 year olds are sitting around playing Fortnite. Your son's over there, like saving his friend's life. It was just totally disproportionate. This is another one where I felt like it just kind of felt like there was so much else happening in this episode that I was like, what's the point of having? Like, I would have rather saved this for another episode. Yeah, true. Maybe it's just paving the way that, you know, Luke wants to follow in his dad's footsteps. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But basically, like, Herman comes home from shift, Luke apologizes, and then Herman just smiles, and he's like, we're gonna go visit your friend, and that's it. Okay, but the way the scene should have gone was Herman just being like, you didn't let me down. Because, like, it's not on Luke. Also, where, like, whose house were they at, and where were the parents? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know. TV. TV. It's TV. Yeah, TV. Just, I don't know. Because, yeah, I mean, again, my reaction was like, yeah, Luke, like, damn, good job. And then Herdman was just like, you disappoint me. What? Yeah. I, harsh, Herman. That was harsh. Like, too harsh. And then, again, he was just mm-hmm. like, you, like, instead of saying, like, you didn't let me down, I'm sorry, he was just like, we're just going to go see your friend in the hospital. What? Yeah. Like, I'm going to give this kid issues later on. I don't know. That's just, I, I don't know. I, I reacted a little strongly to that when I was just like, seriously right now? Like, what the hell? So, whatever. It's TV. Cool. Any other notes about fire? No, but again, yet another solid one Chicago episode. It was a solid episode. It really was. So, on to PD. Okay. My first reaction to this PD episode is that like, Holy shit, we were hashtag blessed. There is so much ruse water. So much. It was, but it was definitely an episode where, like, I did not get it when I watched it the first time. Like, I was like, I don't know what I just watched. I don't actually know what happened. Yeah, the ending is what basically made me WTF about the whole thing. But, oh my god, there's so much. Oh yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get there. So much ruse water. Oh my god, it's amazing. So Voight is sending Ruzik and Atwater out to knock on doors and see if they can find witnesses for a string of recent home invasions. And we start off and like 
Ruzik's getting coffee and Atwater is just like, dude, you're like, this is your second cup. What are you doing? It's like, it's just like the first like three minutes are just pure banter between Ruzik and Atwater. And I'm just like, where I, where is this? Like, where is this fan fiction? I just need to sit back and see this for like an hour of just Ruzik and Atwater talking like normal bros. It's the best. It was pretty great. It was really great. It was. And so on their way out, Ruzik bumps into a trainee and his training officer chews him out. But, you know, Ruzik's like, no, it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's just an accident. Just a spill. You know, no big deal. I did like when, like, the spill happened and Platt just kind of, like, peers over and she goes, there's a spill on my floor. Like, she just points it out. (laughs) So good. Yeah. And so, you know, Ruzik's like, nope, don't worry. It's not a big deal. But the training officer just chews him out. He's like, he's like the worst recruit I've ever had. And Ruzik's like, what the fuck, dude? Um, and so as they're at the scene later on, they're talking about it. And Kevin's just like, I really don't like seeing the training officer, like bully the recruit. And Ruzik is giving him, not Ruzik, Outwater is giving him shit. And he's just like, you never like went through this. What are you talking about? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, and his exact line, he's like, I understand why you'd say that. Cause like, you didn't have to do the dance. So you don't like to do the moves. I'm just, I'm here for every ounce of this Ruzwater banter. It's just, I'm here for it. I just want it all. It's the best. Kev does have a point, though. No, he totally like, does. Yes, it's fun, but like Kev definitely has a point. Like Ruzik skipped a bunch of the beginning steps that mm-hmm. he didn't have to. Like Ruzik got lucky. Yeah, yeah. So they get called to a robbery gone wrong, and so the guy who got shot he ends up dying, but not before he says something in Bulgarian to Ruzik. And so we see, like, the offenders fled in a silver SUV with patches on the side, and according to the nephew the business owner's nephew he was there with the guy so the phrase that he said in bulgarian it means buy yourself candles it's basically an old phrase about forgiveness it kind of gets a little bit lost in translation but the guy also tells void that you know most people in the ho- in the neighborhood they're from the balkans and so if they saw something they probably won't share it with the police so back at the 21st they basically have no witnesses Void's like okay let's start from the beginning Burgess mentions that she got a call from her CI that there was an SUV with patches that was just dropped off at an auto salvage yard. So when they say patches, they don't mean like actual patches. This is like a different, it's like car terminology, right? I think by patches, they mean not like Girl Scout badge patches type patches, but like the car version of that, you know, like something like taped up or whatever is my guess. Okay. Yeah. Because then we see Ruzwater, they go to this auto salvage yard. And, like, okay, again, not only are we hashtag blessed with the Ruzwater, but, like, Ruzik is in this, like, denim jacket with the sunglasses. And I'm just, like, feeling this look. I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm taking in the view. This is fantastic. It's the best. So Kevin Ruz, they go check it out. The owner's, like, really pissy and basically tells them to come back when they have a warrant. And so Voight goes to talk to Vasile. He's the victim's brother and basically tries to convince him to cooperate. And so Vasile says, he's like, how are we supposed to help you or anybody in the neighborhood? Voight says Voight it. Says it. Not Voight Vasile. It. Yeah, Voight. And he's like, or anybody in this neighborhood if nobody's willing to talk to us. And I thought Vasile's point was pretty interesting, how he was like, pretty much everybody in this neighborhood's Bulgarian. Like, it's an ex-communist state. They don't trust the police. I was like, oh, like, yeah. that's an interesting point. I never really thought about that. I think that's a smart writing thing, though, too, that, like, you pick a country that, like, is an ex-communist state. Because, like, you could have been any country, and they just, like, you know, like, if you pick the Greek, like, you know, like a Greek community. Okay. Yeah, sure. 
Like, it wouldn't have had the same effect, you know? Right. But I think that was just, like, a smart writing thing. Yeah, it was totally smart. Because most of the time when you hear that these communities don't trust the police, you're just like, oh, okay, well, whatever. They can trust us here. They just need to get over it. This is a valid explanation. Like, Mm -hmm. good. So, Ruzik and Kevin, they end up having the standby unit. It's, like, two officers from earlier. They pull over the owner of the salvage yard, and they find a gun in his car, which basically means that they can bring him in and question him about the silver SUV they brought in earlier. I didn't even catch that Ruzik quoted Taylor Swift, but that's probably because I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I only caught it because of Twitter. Like, Twitter blew Like, as soon as he said it, it was, like, a big thing on Twitter. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Ruzik quoted Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, I also just want to know who in the PD writer's room, like, whose line, whose responsibility was that line? Who's the Swifty? <laughs> yeah. But no, and then, like, the accounts all tweeted about taylor swift so i knew that it was real but i was like oh i wouldn't have caught that otherwise oh okay so i i saw a string of tweets between the three shows about like you play stupid games you win stupid prizes i just thought everybody was kind of hanging on it because it was like an adam quote i didn't realize it was a taylor swift lyric mm-hmm. that's funny that's funny does ruzik yeah. listen to taylor swift as like a guilty pleasure i'm here for it i guess so apparently <laughs> i love it so much Maybe Burgess listens to her and Ruzik just, like, is part of that. I don't know, but we'll never know because we didn't see the morning after scene. I'm just saying. I know. I know. We did did get dripped out of the morning after scene. Please tell me that's a deleted scene somewhere. Oh, my God. Marina, are you out there? Was that a deleted scene? Please tell us. Please. Um, I'm going to tweet that from the podcast account, like, right now because I need to know that. Um, Yeah, so... Basically, the guy ends up spitting on Ruzik. And so Ruzik basically smashes him into the seat in front of him, which is like totally right to me. I don't know. The minute when he he was like, well, consider me not woke. And then he spit on Ruzik. And I was like, oh, why did you do that? Like, to me, him smashing the guy's head into like the car, like the seat in front of him. I was like, this is totally tame compared to what we've seen Ruzik do in the past. Like, he totally punched a guy two seasons ago. So... Right. This is completely Well, tame. it's tame for intelligence standards. You can't do that, actually. But, like, it's tame for intelligence standards. Exactly. I'm just like, okay. And so maybe it's a little problematic that that didn't phase me then because I'm just so used to seeing intelligence that I'm like, eh, whatever. Guy had it coming. Yeah, I think it's a little problematic, Gina. Okay. All right. Noted. Noted. So... Basically, the the guy who's like Ruzik just like smashes his head into the seat in front of him. He comes he comes clean about the car. So a guy basically gave him a grand to smash it. And so as they're leaving, they all agree to say that the recruit gave the owner the split on his lip. Um, and so it, it's Werner who agrees to this. Werner is the training officer. And Ruzik's hesitant though. And so Ruzik's like, listen, I don't like putting people in situations that they don't want to be in. Possible parallel to all the shit that went down last season, even though he's the one who put himself in that situation? Oh, I definitely thought about last season, and he said that. Okay. Okay, noted. Noted. Because I was like, okay, well, part of the, part of his, like, connection to this trainee is that, you know, he was that guy once. I mean, granted, he didn't go through any of this, but he was that guy. But I think the other part of that was like, yeah, he doesn't want to see somebody put in that situation. So maybe he's referring to Antonio. But again, Antonio That's what I was thinking. Position. I was thinking about that. So 
Warner basically looks at him and is like, you need to mind your business. Like how I treat and train my recruit doesn't have anything to do with you, which is true. Sorry, Adam. Sorry. I, I do agree with some aspects of what Warner says in this episode, which kills me a little bit because Warner is the worst. But there are certain things that he says that I'm like, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, just because you're in intelligence doesn't mean you can run around and tell everybody else how to do their job. Sorry, but Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So back at the 21st, Werner now has beef and basically tells them that the owner is filing a CR. Uh, CR, what, what does that stand for? Did we ever find that out? Mm-hmm. I just assumed it was a complaint of some sort. Same. Same. Pretty much. So Werner says that he made himself the hero in the report, but the recruit didn't get dirty writing it. So he basically has no incentive to back him up. And so Werner mentions, like, he asked Platt to fix it, but if she can't, stick to the report. Okay, whatever. I'm a little annoyed that, like, Ruzik, seriously, you can't keep yourself out of trouble. It's been five episodes. It's been three since you got your badge back. Like, seriously? Right, and one was the crossover. Right, Exactly. So intelligence goes to Barnes's house. Barnes is the guy they think dropped off the SUV. And so Haley is very casually like, dude, patrol's not acknowledging like what's going on. But Voight's like, we don't really have time to waste. First of all, I don't feel like this beef between Adam and Werner is worthy of all of patrol like abandoning intelligence. Right. Well, and even Werner says at some point later, he like, tells Platt, he's like, I never asked them to do that. But like, they're loyal people, I guess. This is petty as fuck is what this is. Mm-hmm. Petty. You say petty. I say loyalty, you know. But, like, I hope this doesn't actually happen in the CPD. Like, there are way bigger issues going on. Like, this is literally a matter of life and death. No, but I think that's where, like, TV comes into play, right? Like, okay. this okay. is TV. This is TV. This is TV. So after they get the guy, Ruzik basically mentions that he's like, yeah, I might have caused an issue. I might have caused an issue. And Voight just tells him, like, to handle it. And I do like how Voight didn't get mad. I like how Voight was like, do I need to get involved? And Ruzik was like, nope, I got it. Like, okay, cool. So they end up bringing Vasil's son to try and ID the suspect in a lineup. But there's nothing. He just, he doesn't, he doesn't really recognize anybody. So they end up finding out that Vasil's bartender shared the same street address as Barnes back in the day. And they're still friends. Hmm, imagine that. Hmm. Brenna, will you take it from here, please? Yeah, so basically, and actually they're more than just friends. They're, like, lovers and, like, mm-hmm. she's having his baby, whatever, all those things. And basically, Barnes bonded out, though, so Kevin Ruse try to go grab him, but, like, he's fled. He's, like, out of here. And meanwhile, Haley and Jay interrogate the bartender. She admits, you know, she's like, you know, I told Barnes about the part and his partner, like about how much money the restaurant was making, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't think anything was going to happen, you know, yada, 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 all that stuff. And basically, you know, they end up finding Barnes like dead in some motel, like, duh. Mm-hmm. I knew that was going to happen. So meanwhile, elsewhere, Trudy goes and talks to this guy at AED about the Warner. And, you know, she's like, you know, we can work something out. Like you and I have history, you know, we can work something out. What is this history? Because the way she said that. I don't know. It was suspect. I don't know. But basically like all the other guy cannot, he's like, you know, I can't just like dismiss it, but like I can offer you like a little plea. And she's like, 
send me more information. You know, we will consider. So we go back to the 21st. And Rojas mentions that she found a name going through Barnes's phone record that stands out. This guy, Jack Cranston, who, like, has a rap sheet that's, like, 10 miles long, you know, mm-hmm. the usual. So they end up finding Cranston, and, like, he starts a shootout with PD. And, again, you know, they're able to corner him, but because they don't have backup, he ends up escaping. It's just, like, again... The lack of backup was, like, wild in this moment because it's, like, they have a shootout literally happening on the middle of the street. Again, this is so much more important and so much bigger of a deal than this beef between Ruzik and Warner. Right. The, like, non-really existent beef. But, yeah. Or, like, let's put it this way. The existent beef that's only been around for, like, two days. hmm Yep. So, basically... Platt confronts the training officer or Warner and she's like you gotta end this crap like even though he said like I said earlier he's like I never told patrol not to roll when intelligence needs backup and so basically Platt tells him this like lowball plea that like he has the option to take and it's basically he can like you know plead to unreported force and he gets like a three day suspension but Werner's upset not because of the suspension but like because that means he'll like lose training officer status and he's like, no, like, we're going to take a chance. I'm going to stick to, like, the recruit, you know, that the take the chance that the recruit sticks to the report. And Platt's like, are you insane? <laughs> and she, like, shows him this envelope of money. And she's like, yeah, this is from Ruzik. You know, it's a week's pay. And he doesn't want to take that either. He's like, you know, this Ruzik guy showed me no respect. He thinks he's some big shot because he works upstairs. You know, we're both bloop. So, like, why does he get a pass? And this was, like, the thing that I was, like, he has a point. He does have a point. I just, and also, like, why is Adam being such a hothead? Like, I don't know. I feel like if you're going to bash the guy's head into the seat in front of him, that's, like, that kind of shit is only something you can do when Voight is around. Like, when Voight's not around, I feel like he can't do that shit. Yeah, fair point. So basically, Ruzik and Voight end up in some church and ask Vasil's son to like, try and ID the second robber. They want to like see a full ID Cranston. And he's like, and the son's just like, nope, don't recognize any of them. And I also just thought it was weird. Was it like a church, really? Like, I don't know. That scene was a little weird to me. Oh, that they found him in a church? Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. Something about it was like, oh, okay. It might have been on. like a service for the uncle. Maybe. I don't know. So about it, I was like, oh, they're rolling up to a church to, like, ask the guy to ID bodies. I don't know. Something about it just felt, like, weird to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. This is weird. But basically, Burgess pulls some pod footage and finds that, like, Cranston hijacked this woman's car, which is how he escaped so quickly back at the shootout. And so Rojas and Atwater go to the woman's house and, like, see her car there. And as it turns out, like, Cranston was stupid enough to, like, be in her house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's dumb. And then, you know, they get him, whatever. And But apparently his cell phone GPS puts him at his house at the time of Barnes's murder. So, like, yes, he's Barnes's partner, but he's not the one who killed Barnes. And so Basil and his son return home and find Voight, like, sitting in their kitchen table. <laughs> and someone, like, 
posed this on Twitter, and I thought this was so interesting. Jasmine Imprints. She had this question on Twitter. She was like, you come home and find Hank Boy just sitting in your house. Like, what do you do? I mean, do, do do I know that he's Hank Void or am I just like, you're a random ass person? I don't know. I'd be scared. And I'd also be like, how the fuck do you keep doing that? Yeah. That would, yeah, that would be more my reaction. Like, how does he do that? How does he, how, how, how does he get into these people's places? I don't know. It's wild. What would you do? I mean, well, I, my first reaction would be, like, scream. Like, I feel like they were so calm about it. I was just like, no. Even, no. This is not just normal. no. Yeah. And so, basically, Voy like, talks to Vasile, and he's like, I started snooping, and I found a gun under your son Matt's mattress. And it's, of course, the same one to use to kill Barnes. Oh, what a coincidence. So, over on Med, and then, we've got Natalie committing assault and false imprisonment. Over on PD, we've got Voight clearly violating the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment, right? The Fourth or Fifth. Oh, fuck. I'm rusty now. Um, basically, he went, like, snooping for evidence with no search warrant is basically what he did. Mm-hmm. Can't do yep. that. You can't do that. Yep. But of course, you know, Basil tries to take the fault for his son. He's like, you know, this is on me. Like, even though I didn't pull the trigger, like, I'm the one responsible. Here's an interesting question. Okay. Last season, when Price took the responsibility for Blair's murder, even though we clearly knew it was his wife, why was Voight so willing to let that happen, but not willing to let Basil take the fall for his son this time? Is it because of the pot evidence? No, I think it's because he likes Price. Hmm. But he let Price take the fall. And like, right, but like, because he knew that it was important to Price. Because he and Price are friends. True. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I mean, it's important to Vasile too. Yeah, I'm, but he doesn't know Vasile. It's not like the same connection. True. So basically, it ends with this like most random like what the fuck scene. And Platt goes to Boy and she's like, well, I couldn't get, you know, complete resolve the music thing because Werner has an ass that's like above my pay grade. And so Voight ends up taking Ruse to this bar and then like ends up taking him out behind back so that Werner can like beat him up. What the fuck? And, and Voight's like, it's all about respect. And it's just like, How? How is this about respect? I don't get it. And then what really, really was the kicker, Ruse is like, you're not asking me to lose, are you? And Boy's like, no, never. And she's like, what? What the hell? What? I don't understand what the point of the scene is. Like, is that an old school, old fashioned way of settling things within the CPD? Like, that's, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. At all. And then like when, at all. when they were walking out, I was like, is Wood actually going to allow this? Yeah. Apparently. Like, that's the dumbest ending to an episode, like, ever. It, yeah. Like, in the fact that it ended like that, I was so confused. Is that how men resolve their problems? I don't know. I was so confused. 
It's so weird. I know. And now I kind of want to ask Looch on Instagram and be like, Looch, there's something you're not telling us about the CPD? Yeah, I, I don't get it. It was a total what the fuck ending. I hope they like, I don't know, part of me wants them to bring it up. I like, I hope Rusek walks in next week with like a black eye. I hope he doesn't. I hope this is something that they just pretend. I I hope this is like they treat this like they did the Berzik hookup last week and we just don't get any like fallout from it. (laughs) I don't know, but yeah. I'm glad that it ended on him like walking towards Werner. I was like, do not pan that camera around. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. And I'm glad it ended like right there. Yeah, but yeah, that's the end of PD. Such a weird ending. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So weird. So as always, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Meet us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. We are into other things aside from one Chicago. Um, I'm watching Succession right now. It's really good. Brian, are you watching anything? Um, what am I watching that I'm really into? All American. Oh All American. God. Like obsessed. Okay. See, so good. see, we watch other shows. We can talk about other shows. We can talk about anything. So email us anytime about anything. Meet us at mollies at gmail.com. If you like the show, which I'm really hoping you do because you have made it all the way to the end of this episode, if you're hearing this, please, 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 if you could leave us a review on iTunes, we would so greatly appreciate that. It will help other shy hearts find the show and just kind of grow this community of crazy Chicago loving people that we are. So we would love that. Um, visit our Tee Public store. The link is on our Twitter. We have shirts that you can buy and support the show. Um, otherwise, yeah, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I am at K 13 Still a relatively normal schedule, which is nice. So everybody have a good weekend. Get your Halloween costumes ready. Eat some candy. And we will see you guys next week. Bye.